Welcome everybody, I'm Thomas Watson, Enterprise Trucking Carrier, expert at Freight Waves, and you, my friends, have stumbled across a special edition of Loaded and Rolling. This one comes from, of course, our Global Supply Chain Week here at Freight Waves. Those of you just catching in, this is the Thursday edition with Automotive. And so I'm going to be talking a little bit about today the logistics behind electric charging. So without further ado, we're going to bring in our guest. It's uh, Ms. Nea Palmer, CEO and co-founder of Terawatt Infrastructure, is joining us today. Welcome, Nea. Thanks for having me. And for folks who don't know, tell us a little bit about your, yourself and what your company does. Yeah, Terawatt Infrastructure is a company that's been purpose-built to provide EV charging solutions for fleets. Uh, we started about two years ago, uh, really thinking about the specific needs of fleets and heavy-duty fleets in particular. Uh, when you look at the challenge of charging, uh, it's a really significant milestone for people to achieve for them to actually start to electrify. We provide a turnkey solution for fleets. So we provide locations where fleets can charge. Oftentimes, that's part of the challenge. We will provide uh, the large amount of power required to charge multiple vehicles at one time. All of the on-site infrastructure, the chargers, batteries, solar, and then we'll operate it very reliably, which we know is incredibly important for fleets. And I always like, especially with uh, with startups and as they grow into companies, everyone has an amazing founding story. Uh, y'all have been around since 2018. What are some of the coolest things y'all have seen as uh, as the company's grown and expanded? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we have seen such an evolution in the demand for electric vehicle charging, especially in the heavy duty segment. I would say as recently as 12 months ago, there was a lot of question out there about the vehicles. Can we get access to the vehicles? When will they arrive? How will they perform? I'll tell you, it's turned around pretty significantly in those last 12 months where there's a lot more discussion around the charging. Folks realize that if they're going to electrify, they need to have both solutions at hand, the vehicles and the charging. And what I hear now is that, hey, the charging is actually the bottleneck. So really exciting for us to be able to provide those solutions for fleets. Uh, I think what we've also seen is people are now seeing this as a roadmap. It's not just, hey, we're going to flip a switch and we'll be electric. They understand that the vehicles will evolve over time. The charging uh, availability and quality will evolve over time. And what we're seeing now is a real conversation about that roadmap with our customers and super exciting. They're now thinking, you know, three, five, sometimes 10 years into the future, uh, really thinking about how they're going to make this transition for their fleets. That's what I was always curious about was, um, you know, everyone talks about we're developing battery electric trucks, class eights and everything. But a lot of folks are talking about, well, where are they going to go park and charge? If you're looking at like large scale charging hubs, is that something where a lot of what you're seeing is uh, facilities are trying to do it? Or is it something where I may need to find a truck stop or just a giant area where we can all just charge them at once nearby? Yeah, some of the challenges for developing one of these sites are pretty significant. Um, you know, space is a constraint in this entire industry. We all know the challenges around truck parking in general. But if you layer on all the things you need for charging, that's another significant hurdle. Uh, you need a location that has a significant amount of power. Uh, that's not easy to come by. You think of charging one truck, that's the amount of electricity required to power, call it one big box store. So you have 10 of those in one location charging simultaneously, huge amounts of power. That's not located everywhere. And so we do a really good job of finding those locations where fleets are located, oftentimes warehouse hubs, near truck stops, et cetera, and finding the places where there are large amounts of power that we can bring to bear. 
um, that can be time consuming and costly, sometimes into the tens of millions of dollars. So significant investment that oftentimes folks don't want to make as they're starting to think about buying these new vehicles. Uh, the other piece is actually bringing all the infrastructure to bear on site. Um, it's not a small undertaking to bring these very high powered chargers to a location and to understand the technology required for these high powered trucks. So putting that all together uh, certainly is quite a challenge. The location is incredibly important. Again, we want to do something that's the least disruptive to operations. So when we look for sites, we do look for those locations where there's a concentration of these vehicles. Uh, as I mentioned, the warehouse hubs are great, but we're also looking down the future. We talked about the roadmap a bit. Uh, three, five years down the path, we'll see trucks with much longer ranges and be looking over the road as well to build some of these infrastructure pieces out. And thinking about, uh, let's say we finally, we build the location, everything's set up. Uh, I kind of always wondered, when you're filling up with diesel, you're getting charged by the gallon. Uh, You know, looking at how you make, uh, how you charge folks, do you charge by the duration of the time, the amount of kilowatt hours? How is, uh, do you just pay at the pump in kilowatt hours to fill up the tank, so to speak? Absolutely. That is kind of the metric that we're seeing the industry kind of converge on is this dollar per kilowatt hour charge. Uh, It's really easy for vehicle owners to understand that and translate that into metrics that they're very well familiar with, cost per mile, et cetera. So giving that transparency to our customers is really important and also knowing what that's going to be. You know, they don't want to come to one location and have, you know, something that's 2x what it is in another location. They want to have certainty. And so that's what we work with our customers on is providing them certainty on what that dollar per kilowatt hour charge will be at any given location and really working with them to figure out how to drive down that cost. Energy is a little bit different than fuel, uh, diesel fuel, in that sometimes the cost of energy can vary throughout the day, for example. It's our job as Terawatt to make that as simple for the customer as possible so that they're able to operate their fleet without thinking too much about hey, is it the peak hour for my energy costs? Uh, They're able to operate on their normal schedule and we're able to think about all of the stuff behind the back behind the scenes to do that for them. Uh, We do that by leveraging a few tools. Uh, We can have things like on-site batteries. Uh, We can work with our energy suppliers to get better energy rates that are more well-suited for the EV charging case. And we can also help fleets if there are ways that they can shift their uh, routes in a a way that is more efficient. We can work with them on that as well. But that dollar per kilowatt hour is a kind of real good benchmark for them to be able to understand what it's going to cost for them to electrify and that really important benchmark of cost per mile. And when we're looking at who is, that's what I was kind of curious about. I've always wondered if when we're charging the trucks, if we're going to see fuel stations and traditional ones that sell diesel, like your pilots, TAs, and loves, I wonder if they're going to partner with infrastructure providers to create the electrification, or if you're seeing a lot of situations where the fleet itself, let's say I'm a carrier with class eight, does it make more sense for me to just have my own kind of fuel island, but with electric battery packs or right now with monetization, does it kind of make sense that maybe I should start looking at places and make deals for the kilowatt hour to feel like I would with a, with a diesel stock? It's a great question. And what we see is it's going to be, again, this evolution. It'll be a multifaceted solution as well. You see right now, traditional fleets have some fueling at their site and they do a lot of fueling offsite as well. We think it's going to be a very similar combination for EVs. I think what you'll find, though, is fleets are not expert in the elements required for EV charging. You have to understand how to work with the utility. You have to understand all of the technical requirements of both the vehicle, but also the charging. And then you also want to run it really reliably. So what we're finding is a lot of fleets will start with their you know, couple vehicle pilot 
with the charging behind their fence, but they quickly realize that there's constraints when they want to bring on more vehicles. There may not be enough power at their site. Uh, there may not be enough space. Space is, again, a big consideration in this entire industry. So what we see is they start to partner with companies like us to think about how they can actually start to increase the number of EVs without having to do all of the work themselves. And so we see it as a constellation of solutions. There'll be some component of behind their fence. There'll be some component of depot charging with infrastructure providers like us. And there will be the ecosystem of you know, incumbent providers that are starting to get into the space. Um, it really will you know, be dependent on this type of vehicle, the type of route, the type of fleet. But we are seeing that given the constraints around location, power, and all the expertise required from the technology, uh, the set it and forget it with a centralized solution provider is really attractive for lots of fleets and becoming much more so. And I'd say the ones that have tried it themselves are our most ardent fans. Uh, they realize all of the burden it is internally to take that on. And so they're really excited to work with other partners who can provide them turnkey solutions. I'm kind of curious because I know that we, you know, I can charge my iPhone with a wireless charger. You just put it on this device and it will charge it without having to plug in the cord. For electric vehicle charging, are we still in a situation where we need the hardware to physically plug it in? Or is there a future kind of state where we can eventually, I don't know how much power it would take, but, you know, you just park in your parking spot and it charges you while you wait. It certainly is a technology that's being developed. It's very nascent at the moment, this wireless charging technology. Uh, when you look at the large amounts of power that you need for especially a heavy-duty vehicle, Class 8, uh, you start to want to have higher levels of efficiency, right? It's lots of kilowatt hours being transferred. There's heat considerations and lots of other considerations. So having that direct connection can sometimes be the most efficient, cheapest way to fuel uh, EV right now. Um, certainly there'll be innovation in this industry. Uh, we're already looking at things like, you know, cooling the actual cable to make sure that you're able to con consistently charge a vehicle at that high power rate for a long power, power period of time. Um, I'm super excited. This is one of the most exciting things for me as part of this industry. Uh, my background has been in technology and, and data centers and a lot of the technology that we've seen evolve in that industry is actually very applicable to EVs and EV charging. Uh, we will see how this evolves over time um, and wireless charging can certainly be something that we see far in the future. Do you see kind of, that's why I was curious about large data centers and data farms. Sometimes they put them next to like hydroelectrical power locations, like the sheer amount of power required. Is it almost a one-to-one -one coming from that data center background? Uh, I think you said, how much charge does it take as like a convenience store or a small retail space to, to charge one truck? Think of a large big box store. So, you know, you're very large, uh, you know, in a big mall, the biggest store in there, it's probably equal to one vehicle being charged. So think about 10 of those being charged simultaneously. Uh, the location of the site and the availability of power are incredibly critical. Um, with enough time, you can always bring power to a site, but in some locations that can be in the four-year range. So for us, really finding, again, that overlap of where the fleets want to be charging and where there is available power is really critical. Uh, I don't think these will ever get as big as data centers. Those are now into the hundreds of megawatts. Uh, but certainly the similar site location criteria are things that we're looking at for EV charging. Where can we find that interconnect to the grid that's going to be quick and the lowest cost because there might be a short line that we have to build as opposed to a very long line, et cetera. A huge component of starting to seed this industry is going to be understanding how this is going to interact with the power grid 
something that we're very expert in. I mentioned data centers. I was at Google for 10 years, leading energy strategy for them and spending a lot of my time thinking about how we get to the power the quickest and cheapest way, very similar to what we'll do for EV charging. I was always curious about if it matters, talking about location, you know, you all are developing and building locations and working with people. So out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I'm at right now, we have nuclear power through EPB. But in some other locations in the U.S., maybe they're using coal or they're using gas to power it. Is that going to be something in terms of monetization and also thinking of where I should develop it? Is it a better deal if I find a location with an existing like nuclear infrastructure that's cheaper? Or is it something where it matters more that maybe I need to fill up the batteries and I'm getting a specific rate and then I'm selling it at a specific rate? I'm going to answer your question in two parts because I think there's two considerations here. There's obviously the cost and every single utility will have a different cost structure that is based on their, you know, the grid mix, what types of supply that fuel that they have. Uh, we're going to look for locations that have two things, hopefully the lowest energy rates, but also a clean grid mix. We know that, you know, this is supply chain we need for you. A lot of the impetus for fleets to start to electrify is because they have very strong goals with respect to their supply chain. They want those scope two and three emissions to be zero. And so as we think about that as a main driver for electrification, we're also looking at the grid mix. Um, Terawatt will be buying 100% renewable energy for its customers for their uh, electric vehicle charging. Um, we'll look for locations where that is possible. So there has to be a component of the grid mix that is renewable. Um, and we'll look for that as a critical component because again, we know that a main driver, especially at these early stages of electrification is this drive towards zero emissions. So cost is a component, but also just how clean that grid is is also a component of how we'll approach this. Kind of looking forward downrange next five to 10 years, public utilities companies oftentimes, you know, they got to stay profitable. Does this kind of open up an opportunity uh, just because of the requirements? You know, if I have a 10 truck fleet and it takes 10 Costco's to uh, fill them up metaphorically, is that something where you're starting to hear a lot of public utilities say, hey, if I help develop this, or is it something where the utility companies when you're working with it, they're just going to give a certain specific rate and then eventually, is there any proactivity, I guess, from you know, public utilities to help support this? Or is it mostly private ventures taking it forward and then utilities reacting to the demand? It's really a mix depending where you're located in the U.S. Um, there are some utilities that have had uh, just a huge amount of request for EV charging infrastructure. So whether that's on the transmission lines or distribution lines in their territory. So they've had to face that head on. And they've started to put in place programs that can actually help support the EV charging industry and they put in specific rates that can help bolster the industry as well. Uh, I think it really depends where you're located. Certainly, uh, California, where I'm located right now, has been the hotbed of activity for EV charging for a number of reasons, uh, compliance, incentives, et cetera. So a lot of the utilities in California have had to get involved with that. Um, we do see a lot of private investment as well. Uh, when you see that point of interconnect with the grid where kind of the utility stops, there's still a huge amount of infrastructure that needs to be invested into to bring these EV charging uh, pieces to bear. So, you know, there is the interconnect itself. There is, you know, the on-site infrastructure, et cetera. So it really is kind of, I would call it a partnership between the utilities, bolstering their assets and their grids uh, and the private investment required in the sites themselves. Uh, it's really exciting to see more and more utilities get into the game with uh, really known structures for EV charging rates and what it would take to actually interconnect. Uh, but certainly it's early days. And as we have more electrification across 
more regions in the U.S., I expect that more utilities will get involved. I'm kind of curious. Pragmatically speaking, let's say I have five trucks in a small yard. Uh, would it make more sense from an infrastructure standpoint for me to connect to the utility and buy a giant battery to then charge my other vehicles? Or is it more sense right now to just have it directly into the lines and I just kind of plug it in like I would an outlet and it just draws from the grid when needed? It really depends on the utility and the rates that they have. Uh, if they have peaky rates, uh, demand charges is something that anyone who does EV trucks will know about very soon. But if, for example, it costs me more to charge my vehicle in the afternoon, there may be a case where having a battery of the right size would be helpful to offset those rates. So I think it's a it depends answer, which is sometimes not satisfying. But I think that speaks to why a lot of these fleets are going to need uh, experts and solution providers, because navigating that in a variety of geographies, which most fleets operate in a wide variety of geographies can be really difficult. Um, so, you know, I think it depends is the answer. Um, we know, again, from a centralized perspective that we can drive down costs for fleets as well. Uh, putting in the infrastructure required for five vehicles can be pretty expensive, but if they're able to go to a centralized depot where they don't have to actually put up front CapEx, they can turn that into OpEx and come and charge on this per kilowatt hour basis. That can often be a really cost-effective way for them to engage as well. I can imagine just owner operators going to their local location and then either pay for a parking spot or pay for a charge and then it just gets sent out. Talking about emissions as well, I'm thinking about, is that something where you all are seeing a lot of pressure, especially with the clean electricity? Are folks really interested in knowing exactly where that power came from? Or uh, an example is uh, when I when I got the tour in Nikola truck, one of the customers was so excited that they literally installed a diesel generator at their location to charge it. And, you know, are you seeing this early in the game customers, they just want to have it electric? Or is there a lot of pressure that's like, hey, how clean is this? Did you source this from the nuclear power plant or the coal one down the road? It certainly is a range of sophistication across customers. Uh, you know, there's two drivers for EVs. We believe that the long-term TCO is going to be really favorable for EVs. When you take into account those lower maintenance costs, um, it can offset what we believe will be a lower, uh, quickly reduce, reducing uh, cost for that vehicle. So there's a cost element to it. But again, as I mentioned earlier, there's a huge effort for many of these corporations to reduce their carbon footprints. And a lot of that starts with supply chain and their, and their trucking fleets. Um, so those types of companies definitely have a high level of sophistication around what is the power that's actually going into these vehicles. And they have very sophisticated carbon accounting schemes that they're taking into account when they decide whether or not to electrify, where to electrify. So certainly uh, there's a lot of attention on that. And again, the early days, there's a lot of folks who are doing this because they want to quickly reduce those emissions to meet goals for 2030, for example, zero emission vehicle goals uh, for their entire fleet by 2030, 2035. They're going to be very sophisticated in that carbon accounting and have a lot more um, inquiry on where that power source is coming from. Standardization of charging is another thing I'm curious about. Uh, I heard about it, I guess, with Teslas in the car world, maybe Teslas versus other electric vehicles. There's some talk about it. When we're talking about commercial charging, is this a situation where does it, is there standardization like an ISO standard or something on what this charger looks like? Or if I install it, are we still in the Wild West days where, uh, you know, we may not know, uh, I may have to replace the, the handle or something? 
It's a great question and so important for fleets as they have multiple different types of vehicles and may have even different types of chargers they have to deal with. There is something called the megawatt charging standard that's starting to be developed across the industry. It's a consortium of OEMs, of charging providers, of customers who really care about what this is going to look like in standardization. I think most folks understand that for us to get to scale, we have to have a lot of fungibility in charging infrastructure. So it could be as simple as, hey, where is the port located on the vehicle for us to charge? And then what that connector looks like. Um, It's certainly in development stage, and we know that it'll be required for large-scale electrification. Uh, We're a participant in that. Um, So it's an international body starting to standardize some of these things. I think um, a little bit different than the passenger vehicle journey, where there were lots of different types of connectors and different types of systems. We're seeing an impetus within the industry to start to standardize much earlier in that curve of adoption. Um, So really excited to work with others on that. And looking at partnerships as well regarding the infrastructure, are you all seeing something where uh, are OEMs and other large manufacturers starting to partner with infrastructure providers? Or is this a situation where uh, you see a lot of the folks who are developing it just kind of going it alone and assuming someone else is going to figure out the charging portion? Uh, there certainly are lots of partnerships, and I think it makes a lot of sense, right? In order to be able to sell these vehicles, there has to be some certainty of charging out there. Uh, you know, you saw this on the passenger side that some of those early networks were seeded by the OEMs. Uh, we are seeing similar trends here. I think what's a little bit different is, you know, for fleets, there are much more stringent needs. Uh, a fleet can't just take their semi truck and go charge somewhere else. So you do see these early partnerships evolving. Um, we know that, you know, we talk to the OEMs and try to understand what their needs are and working with them to say, hey, here's a real dense area of demand by us, char- you know, installing charging uh, hubs in that location. It can really help you as you think about where you're selling and deploying these vehicles. So lots of discussions, lots of formal partnerships out there as well. Um, I do think that uh, building vehicles as an OEM is a very different task than building this infrastructure. Again, it really is a knowledge of real estate, knowledge of utilities and power, and then this reliable operation. Um, so you will see partnerships, but you will see some companies come through on the infrastructure basis alone, um, really you know, starting to put those pieces together in a cost-effective manner. And I wanted to go into also a special shout out to Alan Adler for helping me get in touch with you and your team. Um, back in September of 22, back when I was reading one of the articles, y'all were located in 18 states. Have y'all expanded or is that something where are all states good for expansion or is there something where you have to consider locations like weather, charging, you know, utilities? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually have expanded. We have the 19th state location now that we're actively developing. Um, look, you know, there is areas of the U.S. that are probably more dense for EV charging right now. I mentioned California, uh, just the confluence of factors with compliance requirements, uh, with incentives that are being offered at the state level. Uh, that's a real area of activity. So when we think about investing, we want to invest where customers have the highest demand. Uh, certainly, we see the southern half as a bigger area of demand, just given uh, the kind of intricacies of where the battery technology is today. But we're actually starting to see folks say, hey, my headquarters are somewhere in the upper Midwest and they want to start there with their electrification journey. So it's starting to spread more significantly than it has been over the last, call it, three to five years. Uh, But we know that really the uh, activity is starting kind of in the U.S. Southwest and radiating out from there. Um, And that's kind of where we're starting our investments, but really having our eye on the entire U.S. because eventually 
you know, we know that this is a trend that will take hold everywhere. It's exciting stuff to watch. Reminds me of the early days of the Wright Brothers. We figured out it can fly. Now we're working to make money off of it and expand it and grow it at the same time. Uh, Naya, if people want to learn more about your company, what's the best way to get in contact? Yeah, you can go to our website. We're terawattinfrastructure.com. And there's a way to kind of email us and get in touch there. Uh, We're always happy to chat with folks who are on their journey, wherever they are, if they're just thinking about electrification or uh, in, in, you know, knee deep in it. Uh, super excited to chat with anyone in, in this ecosystem. Perfect. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Very excited to watch it. Looking forward to all 50 states as well. Absolutely. Thanks so much. That's going to be a little bit of a wrap for our interview, but we have some stuff coming up, a little bit of housekeeping as well. Normally you can catch Loaded and Rolling every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern. This is special edition. Speaking of special editions, next week, State of Freight is coming up as well. It's going to be uh, preparing, preparing for market changes coming up next Tuesday, February 28th at 2 p.m. Eastern. You can obviously register at freightways.com under events. CEO and founder Craig Fuller, as well as head of market intelligence, Zach Strickland, We're going to be sitting down together and talking about what's going on. If you're listening to this after February 28th, it's okay. It's still out there. Just register for it or we'll have it posted somewhere. There's tons of opportunities as well. That's going to be a wrap, though, for this special edition of Global Supply Chain Week Loaded and Rolling. Also have a newsletter coming out every Tuesday at 2 p.m. You can find it on freightwave.com slash loaded and rolling. Super exciting time as always. Thank you all so much for uh, participating and hanging in there. There's a big green egg giveaway as well. If you're all listening, sign up for the one next year. If you missed this, you may win it. Catch us next week. We'll do it live.